cities have a story. Cities have a culture. They have a myth. They have a they have legends, and what's interesting to me is to think about, you know, what we tell ourselves about the places we live. I remember visiting the city of Rome in Italy and them telling the story of how they believe Rome was founded. If you've never heard of it, heard it, their belief is that there were two brothers, Romulus and Remus, who were orphaned, and they were raised by wolves, and they found the city of Rome. That's their belief. I'm not saying that's true, just saying that's the myth. That's the legend. Kind of weird, but, you know, we think about our own cities, and we think about the stories we tell ourselves about the cities we lived in. I was, I was raised in Dallas, Texas, and kind of the myth of Dallas, have you ever seen the TV show Dallas, by the way? It was a famous show, an older show, but it was around for a long time. And it's kind of the myth of the sophisticated and wealthy rancher. Right, you kind of, you're, you're very sophisticated, you're known in the city for kind of being current with it, but you're also this rancher that kind of has influence in farming and different things. That was the myth of Dallas. Everyone was trying to be that. I think of uh, Silicon Valley, right? It's the myth of the startup business in your garage, right? If you can just get a drop out of college, get a couple people in your garage, get some servers in there, you too can build a billion dollar business, right? That's the myth of San Jose and Silicon Valley. I think of uh, Austin, Texas, where Robert's from, just to rag on him a little bit. You know, the, the myth of Austin was the creative cowboy. Like, I'm a really tough man's man, but I also can sing a little music on 6th Street, right? That was the myth of Austin. And then San Diego, right? San Diego, we just view ourselves as a happiness lifestyle city, right? You can be healthy here. You can be happy here. There's perfect weather. Obviously, we have our 73 degrees. And, you know, we get so surprised every time it rains. It's like every, have you never noticed this? Every time it rains, it's like my kids, they go outside and they look at the rain. They're like, wow. You know, it's like this tourism event for them. Um, I mean, it's, it does rain here. I don't, it always surprises us, though, because we tell ourselves this story that we have this perfect climate. And we also tell ourselves negative stories about cities. I remember a city I was raised by in, in Texas that had a paper mill in the city. And if you ever heard or seen a paper mill, they smell really bad. So that whole city had an odor when you drove by. And we would tell ourselves a story about that city. It's not a place we wanted to go. Um, and, you know, I remember actually moving out here to San Diego from central Texas. And from the place we moved, San Diego was seven times more expensive. And that was a number of years ago. It's probably more now. And, you know, every time I told someone, Where are you, what, are you, what, what are you up to in life? What are you up to? Whether it's store, church, coffee shop, whatever. Oh, I'm moving to San Diego. Response, always the same. Wow, so expensive. Great zoo, though, but so expensive. So people would always say, it got to the point where I had to stop telling people. I mean, I was, I was trying to keep my faith high, and I didn't need all their thoughts about how expensive my life was going to be. And today I want to speak to us here in San Diego about our call to our city. Because this is a different kind of church. I don't know if you've, you've thought about this. Maybe you've been a part of other churches. A lot of people at All People's Church haven't. And so let me explain something to you. This is a different kind of church. Churches have different emphases, different callings, different vision. And God has given us a unique purpose at this church, transforming lives to bless San Diego, planting churches to transform Nation. So we just did that. We, we, Frankie and Chelsea and their kids, we laid hands on them. We sent them off to plant a church. And this church has that specific calling, a calling to plant many churches, actually to preach the gospel in every country on earth, to preach the gospel to all nations. That's the calling of this church. And so there's things that at times we do differently in this church compared to other churches. Not, it's not better or worse. It's just different because of our unique calling. You tracking with me? 
However, that calling can't happen without a strong foundation here in this city. First of all, many of us, we're actually not going to move to other countries and to plant a church. We're going to stay here. And so we need to figure out how to obey the Bible 52 weeks a year, not the one week a year we're on a short-term mission trip. Right? We need to live life on mission. Okay? Also, we only reproduce what we are. So if we're going to plant churches, we need to send out people who are, like, doing life here in a way that's impacting society and bringing the kingdom of God. I mean, the Bible talks a lot about cities. We're going to get into that. And if God's going to enlarge our territory, just even thinking strategically, capacity-wise, organizationally, we need to increase our capacity here locally so we're able to serve all that God is doing across the world. It sounds like we need to be a light to the city, a light to the nations, and a light to generations. I don't know. I've heard that before. But God has something for us in this idea of cities. And it's true, actually, in the last year, you've probably seen this in the news, that people are leaving cities. That's, that's something that we're seeing. But what you may have not seen is when people are leaving our nation's largest cities, they're actually just moving to other cities. <laughs> people will always gather in cities. So just some stats for you here. At the beginning of the 19th century, 5%, so in 1800, 5% of the world's population lived in a city. So still mostly an agrarian society. That had changed at 1900 to about 14%. 14% of the world living in an urban environment in the city. Today, that number is over 50%. So over 50% of the world's population now lives in a city. And actually, in Latin America, it's already over 80% today. But by 2050, the entire world, over 80% of people will live in an urban environment. They will live in cities. And so cities are a big deal. And this mass urbanization is still take, taking place. Of course, our cities in America aren't growing as fast. But if you look at some of the large cities in Asia and Africa, they are growing at an incredible rate. People are moving to cities. One uh, researcher at Cornell University said this, cities have endured terrible pandemics throughout history. We've, we've been through that. Yet they flourish to grow larger and denser. San Diego is actually one of those cities right now that's growing even in the middle of kind of this pandemic and all that's been going on in our country and in our society. You can see it, right? To spend a little time on a Zillow app or a Redfin app, houses move pretty quick. It's because people are moving here. They want to leave here. They want that 73 degrees. And if you're watching this in another city, it's totally not 73 degrees right now. It's like 103. I'm just kidding. That was a joke for the YouTubers. Nobody laughed. Okay, I'll keep going. <sighs> that was my little ploy to get you a place to live. So as we talk about being called to our cities, I want to talk about three things that affect our call to our cities. It's an A and a B and a C. A is our attitude. I want to hone in on our attitude regarding cities because cities can challenge us. Cities can be challenging to live in. My dad always says this, your attitude is your altitude. And so if we're going to influence our cities, if we're going to have influence to change society, to speak into people's lives, to serve the hurting and the broken, we need to have God's attitude if we're going to do that. If we're going to influence our cities, we have to have a hopeful attitude about our cities. And I think of one guy in the Bible that was called to a city who needed to adjust his attitude. And this guy was even a prophet. His name was Jonah. And God calls him to the city of Nineveh. We see it in Jonah chapter 1, verse 2. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. This is a very difficult calling. 
to go preach against the city because its wickedness has come up before me. Super challenging calling, which is why we need to have the right attitude about our cities. If you just want to put this in modern day context, it might be go to the great city of Las Vegas and stand on the strip and preach against it. Go to the great city of San Francisco and stand in the tenderloin and preach against it. This, this was not known as a godly environment. Uh, the people of Nineveh did not serve God. They were actually of a different ethnicity as the Jewish people, of which Jonah was, was, a, was a member of that tribal group. Uh, they, they were a totally different region. They were different gods, different economy. They were not godly people. Jonah actually was called there because of the city's great wickedness. And we see that in cities. Cities are full of problems because they're full of people. And when you get a bunch of people together in close proximity, the three main idols that people deal with, money, sex, and power, are more amplified in the city. And so we see here this city is known by God for its great wickedness. And so Jonah resists the calling. You know the story. He doesn't go to Nineveh. He tries to sail the opposite direction. And by the way, I just want to say this. God calls people to cities. And if we don't get our attitude right about the place that we are called, we can get distracted and miss our calling. It happened to Jonah. There are all kinds of reasons we, we struggle with pain and frustration in our cities. And we're going to get into that. But God calls people to cities. Jonah avoids it. He gets swallowed by a fish. He gets put in this uncomfortable situation. And he repents. God sends him to Nineveh. And what Nineveh experiences is a great revival. Some people say the greatest revival in the Bible, definitely the greatest revival in the Old Testament, would be what happens in this city of Nineveh. There's this mass turning to the Lord. People repent. They're turning to God. And then Jonah is still dealing with this poor attitude. We, we pick up the story in Jonah chapter 4. Even though Jonah finally obeyed, even though God moved, Jonah's mad about it. He's like, God, these people don't deserve your mercy. They, they, don't, they don't deserve me, me coming and, and preaching good news to them and them turning from judgment towards you. And Jonah, and Jonah and God start this conversation. Here's the question that God asked Jonah in Jonah chapter 4, verse 4. But the Lord replies to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? God asked Jonah a question about his attitude. Is it right for you to be angry? By the way, if God ever asks you a question about your attitude, just shut up and listen, okay? <laughs> Is it right for you to be angry? Cities can make us angry. Let's just be real. We see systemic issues. We, we see injustice. Inequality is worse in cities. We see immorality. We see inefficiency at times. We, we see public policy that doesn't honor God. I mean, fiscally, there's frustrating taxes at times or things to deal with. There's things that can make us angry, and that can affect our attitude. That's human. That's normal. If you know right from wrong, sometimes there's, you see things that are wrong. You're like, that's not right. That is very challenging that that is happening. And that is a human reaction, but we can't stay in that anger. We have to get God's attitude. I mean, we're warned in the New Testament about this. When, when James says, your anger will not produce the righteousness that God requires, our anger is not going to transform anybody. So God continues to press in with Jonah, and he asks Jonah a second question. Should I not have concern for this great city of Nineveh? 
in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. God, God is basically saying, I know these people don't know right from wrong. I know this city is wicked. I know that it's challenging. That's why I sent you, Jonah. I had great concern for this city, so I sent you there so you could be an agent for my mercy. How concerned is God about Nineveh? Well, we see it right here. He says they can't tell the right hand from the left. And he also says he's concerned about the many animals. Even the animals are going to be included somehow in this great revival that Jonah is going to bring to Nineveh. So you animal lovers, don't worry. I'm not leaving you out of the sermon, okay? But, you know, God knew the people of Nineveh didn't know right from wrong. God knew the brokenness of the city. And God sent Jonah anyway. Isn't that interesting? His heart was to redeem. Kind of reminds me of Romans chapter 6, which says this, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. God's desire was to send an agent of mercy and an agent of grace that had his heart for these people. You know, Jesus' disciples had to deal with their attitude about a city. They, they went to go preach the gospel in Samaria one time. People don't respond, and they, they turn to Jesus, and they say, hey, Jesus, should we call fire down from heaven on that city? Because those people, you know, they didn't turn to you. And Jesus, it says, he turns and rebukes them. The apostle Paul, probably the greatest missionary of the whole Bible, he had to deal with his attitude about a city. We see in Acts chapter 18, he's sent to the city of Corinth. And, and it makes a point early in the passage to talk about the persecution that Paul experiences in Corinth. And it also makes a point to say that Paul had to revive his profession as a tent maker. So that leads me to assume as just a Bible student that Corinth was expensive, that he needed money. And so here's Paul. It's an expensive place. He's on his own. He's trying to preach the gospel. He's being persecuted. And this is how God steps into Paul's life to adjust his attitude. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Hey, that's a good word for the church in our city. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack you or harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. I love that idea that God says, I have many people in this city. That's one thing I love about living in San Diego. God has many people in this city. There's some amazing churches in San Diego, some amazing leaders, some amazing people that love Jesus. We love partnering with them. We love seeing God work and move through our unity. Can I get an amen to that? I know, I know it's a little windy in here, but, but you know, this is a really important point that God has already placed people in this city. It's not just our little church. Like, Sometimes I can struggle with this. Like I, I, I leave my house in the evening to go walk my dog and I walk down my block and I remember I'm the only Christian on my block. There's not, another, there's not another Christian. And then I strengthen myself in the Lord and I remember God has many people in this city. And I, I pray for different churches. I thank God for different pastors. And I think about how God is moving through the unity of believers in this city. I think of Robert and Stephanie's story of moving to San Diego. 
driving out here to plant this church. And they actually didn't have a place to live. And so they, they had to stay in a little hotel motel over in the Point Loma area, actually overlooking some adult entertainment businesses, some strip clubs. And, and they find themselves in this tough situation, no place to live, um, you know, financially very difficult. And, and Robert is looking out just at night across the brokenness of this area. And God speaks to him. And he says, if you obey the next thing I'm putting in front of you, you'll be part of the greatest revival this city has ever seen. God has many people in this city. God has dreams for this city. And so for us to adjust our attitude about our city, actually we need to go a little step deeper and ask ourselves, what are our beliefs about cities? What do we believe about cities? And what does God think about cities? We're going to look at two cities in the Bible, actually the first city in the Bible ever mentioned. And it's an interesting case because the first city in the Bible ever mentioned was not what you would call a good city. It was started probably for, for negative reasons. It has a negative history. It's a city that started by Cain. And as the story goes, God, God actually intercepted Cain and rebuked him. Because when God created the world, as you see in Genesis 1 through 3, uh, he created a perfect environment for Adam and Eve to live. But Adam and Eve sinned. They fell, they fell far from God. And when they sinned, they were separated from God. So their generations, their children were born into sin. They were born apart from God. And that created strife in the family. So you have Cain and Abel, two brothers who have strife with one another, who are competing with one another. And Cain actually kills Abel. We see this in Genesis chapter 4, very sad. And God steps in to rebuke him. Genesis chapter 4, verse 13. Cain replies to the Lord, my punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me. This is Cain's, this is Cain's punishment for killing his brother. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord replied, no, for I will give, you a, I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Then Cain founded a city, which he named Enoch after his son. Then Cain founded a, which he named Enoch after his son. This is the first mention of cities in the Bible. Just a few points here. The first one we've, we've already said, not all cities have good origins. Some cities have wickedness in their history. They have challenges in their history. It's probably the root of some of their challenges today. But cities also protect people. People gather in cities for, for protection. Cain would have been just wandering in the wilderness, and instead he gathered in a city so that he would have protection, and he would have purpose, and he could be provided for. He's, not the, he, he's the first person I see that, that went to a city for a fresh start. People still do that today. I remember being um, out... Uh, playing volleyball down an ocean beach one time and meeting someone who got out of their car and had literally just driven from the East Coast all the way to the West Coast and just stopped at the beach. <laughs> and they can't drive, you know, on the water. There's not a bridge to Hawaii. So they stopped there in Ocean Beach. And she got out of her car and joined our volleyball game and said, well, who are you? And we started talking. She said, I just, I, just, I just landed. I just came here to San Diego. I came here for a fresh start. People do that in cities. They just show up looking to reinvent themselves, looking for purpose, looking for hope. Also, Cain dedicated this city to his son, and that speaks of his human strength. This was a city that, that exemplified human strength and human reasoning. We also see that in the city of Babel in the Bible. It's a city that represented human, human strength. And, you know, that's one of the reasons cities have so many challenges is because they're not necessarily built on a foundation of honoring God. 
right? That's why cities have crime. That's why cities have debt. That's, that's why there's power struggles. But as we look at another city in the book of Genesis, what we're going to see is God has dreams for our cities. Very similar situation to Cain and Abel. We have Jacob and Esau, also two brothers, also contending for their birthright. Jacob steals Esau's birthright. Also in strife, Jacob, like Cain, also on the run, and he lands near a city, a city called Luz in the Old Testament. This city is 11 miles north of Jerusalem. It was at a major crossroads, a trading post. It was a place of political power. It was a city of the Canaanite government. And we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 28. And what happens is Jacob, he's asleep near this city. He has a dream. God speaks to him, steps into his world. It's an amazing, transformative moment. So he wakes up thanking God. And that's what we see in Genesis 28. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. This idea of the city of Bethel becomes very important in the Bible. It's actually the city only to Jerusalem that's, that's mentioned the most in Scripture, right under Jerusalem. It was a place where prophets, kings, judges, they, they administered things. It was a place of worship, a place of encounter. Uh, Genesis 31, God actually introduces himself. He says, I am the God of Bethel, which that's interesting. And I just look at this verse. He called that place Bethel. Bethel means house of God. Though the city used to be called Luce, and I, and I just look at this and I think, God gave Jacob power to rename a city. Like the city used to be called Luce, and now it's called Bethel. Naming in the Bible, it speaks of identity, it speaks of destiny, it speaks of purpose. And so Jacob has this dream and he wakes up and says, this city used to be called this, now it's going to be called this. So what's God's dream for our city? What's God's dream for San Diego? What are the things we say about San Diego that he might want us to speak new life and vision to from his perspective? Can I get an amen? I, I believe that God wants us to give us power. He wants to give us his perspective to rename, to speak identity into our cities. As a pastor, we, we encounter this a lot. There's people that come to us, and they're very challenged by the climate, not, not the temperature, not the actual weather system, by the environment in which we live socioeconomically, right? You know, business owners, California, San Diego taxes, that's tough. Like, I, I get that. That's tough, right? You look at some of the policies that are going on in our schools, and you're like, wow, that doesn't honor God. You know, you... You, you, you look at the, the legalization of drugs or certain things. It breaks your heart. And, and you, you look at that, you know, it's easy to get angry. But, but, e but even if you're not angry, there's this sense of, like, should I even be here? Like, sh should I just move? And I just want to remind you of Jonah. <laughs> because Jonah was called to Nineveh. We don't want to be people that miss our calling the first lap. 
We don't want to spend 10 years in the belly of a whale, in the wrong city, in an uncomfortable place, because we didn't say yes to God's calling. If you're called to somewhere else, great, go there joyfully. We love sending people out. We'll pray for you and bless you. But there are many people that are called to California, to San Diego, that are questioning their call because of bad beliefs and a poor attitude. And God is calling us to double down. He's saying, what are my dreams for this city? I know people don't know their right from their left. That's why I sent you there. Stop complaining that you're the only Christian on your block. Start complaining that the person next to you in your cubicle isn't a Christian. That's why you're there. Do we need to gather and pray and seek the Lord and be a team and support one another in our individual callings all around the city? Absolutely. You're not alone. But let's not give up the ship. Can I get an amen? I mean, growing up in Texas, there was this campaign they had in the 80s because people were littering on the highway. They were throwing trash out of their cars. And they came up with this great campaign, Don't Mess With Texas. Does anyone remember that? You see it on TV, Don't Mess With Texas, right? And that was, a, that was a big deal in Texas that curbed littering, okay? And, you know, I was praying this morning, and God brought that to mind. And you know what he said to me? Don't forget California. Don't forget California. You might not know this, but, yes, there's some dubious things we deal with as Californians, but California has a great history of being used by God. You know, you look at 1906, you look at William Seymour and the Azusa Street Revival and God pouring out his spirit in Los Angeles and it touching the entire world. You look at the the tent revivals during the Great Depression, 1920s, 1930s. You look at Amy Simple McPherson, really the first person to have a media ministry, California, great revival. You you look at what was going on at Hollywood Presbyterian Church. People like Bill Bright were discipled. You look at Dr. James Dobson started his ministry in California. I mean, you look at the just the Jesus movement of the 60s and 70s. California, John Wimber, the Vineyard Churches, California, the church growth movement out of Pasadena, California. We look at the great Christian leaders that are actually influencing our nation today. Francis Chan, California. Rick Warren, California. Bethel Church, California. Robert Herbert, California. Jason Weatherhead, California, right? We have some great leaders here. We're not giving up the ship. God has a great purpose, and I believe he's just telling us not to forget California. I I, I can look all around our state, and I can see God saying, I have many people in these cities. I have many people, and those are just the people that, like, we know about, like, that we are kind of, like, Instagram famous or whatever, or part of this church that I'm mentioning. Like, think about the millions of other faithful people whose names we don't even know. Remember Abraham? God saved that city because of one person that he prayed for. What about the many people that God has placed in California? I believe God is giving us vision, and he's inviting us into a prophetic season of dreaming his dreams for our city. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't have some great practical, but I do believe that if you so desire, you can enter into a season of revelation to get God's dreams for where you live. Jeremiah 29, verse 7. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. One thing to note is we live in exile. This city isn't our permanent home. But if you want to know what God believes about cities, you should look at heaven because it's a city. But this city isn't our permanent home. We're we're in exile, and that's okay. But God says this, pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And if it prospers, certainly our children will have the opportunity to prosper. Let's just at least do it for them. So God confronts our attitude, 
He upgrades our belief, but he also commissions his people into cities. I love that word commission. This church has a commission weekend where we actually send out our missionaries all over the world to plant churches and actually people receive that calling and that's the emphasis. Well, I wanna invite you today to commission Sunday for San Diego because I believe God wants to commission you into our city to bring great influence and kingdom transformation. And one thing I'm so thankful about is God's already doing it. I thought of just some leaders at this church. I wrote down some, some different names and, and just what they do. I won't read the names, but maybe their, their activities in our city. I think of one leader at this church who has a charity, and they influence thousands of young people and keep them off drugs. I think of another leader at this church who was on the trolley here in San Diego, and they um, encountered some homeless parents and their children, and they realized these people have nowhere to be, and, and God just put it on her heart to throw a Thanksgiving meal for these families, and She's been doing it for 15 years. I think of a friend who graduated high school in East County at at a private school and uh, had the opportunity to play baseball and do some things, but God actually called him into this area to buy a house and invest in these schools. He received a commission to the city. And by the way, I can think of another leader at this church who is from City Heights whose God has called to a camp in East County to minister to Christian kids at a Christian camp. Isn't it interesting? Just how God commissions us and sends us to places that are unlikely. I think of a hospitality executive and a wife who's a banker who were commissioned by God to feed the poor in this area at this church, a commission to the city. I think of a CEO of a real estate company who thought, well, we we help people buy houses. Maybe we should build some. So he takes his agents down to Mexico to build houses for people that don't have them. It's a commission. Not to mention the, the many people at this church that employ people that have influence in the workplace, that serve in the medical or education or whatever. God has given us commissions. He has given us opportunities to transform our city. I want to close by looking at one person who received a commission to his city. It's a man in the Bible, and his name is Ananias. You can turn there with me in Acts chapter 9. This is a really interesting story for us because Ananias gets a commission from God to go minister to one person. That person is Saul. He eventually became Paul. And what's, what's interesting is Ananias and Saul would have been enemies. Saul actually wanted to kill Ananias. Ananias was a disciple of Jesus. Saul was out there persecuting Christians. He was, he was an enemy. And, and God sends Ananias to a different part of town to minister to someone that wants nothing to do with him. And this is how cities get changed. Acts chapter 9, verse 11. The Lord told him, go to the house, oh, uh, verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. So Damascus is a city. I have a picture of Damascus here. There's a nice little deer in the right-hand corner, the deer of Damascus. That must have been their soccer team and little mascot. There's the town. Okay. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. What I think is interesting, how Ananias said yes, where Jonah said no. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answers, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. So we have this divine calling. And then we have this resistance, right? Like, God, you're calling me to go minister to somebody I don't like. You're going to minister 
calling me to minister to somebody that thinks differently than me. You're, you're calling me to go minister to someone that could hurt me. Like, I don't want to do that. And Ananias gets real with God. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. You see, God had a dream, and he wrapped the Apostle Paul's body around it. But someone had to go to him to unlock that dream. Are you tracking with me? I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus. Notice how he says, Brother Saul. The Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately he got up and was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Ananias got a commission. There's a few things I see about this commission. Number one, for him to be commissioned, he had to leave his house. Kind of obvious. But he actually had to leave his house, and, and he actually had to go somewhere to the place that God was calling him, to, to Straight Street. You know what I believe? I believe we all have a Straight Street. Might be a place where we live, might be a place where we work, might be one of, where one of our hobbies are, a place that we play. But I believe God is calling us around his city and commissioning us to bring transformation. I also notice Ananias' resistance. And I just want to acknowledge the call to a city can be a hard call. But here's what's very significant to me. You know, the Apostle Paul, probably the greatest missionary, reached so many cities, but it started with one person. Sometimes when we talk about a calling or commission from God, it becomes grandiose in our mind. And it's real exciting, you know, to talk about cities, right? How cities are growing and, oh, I love cities. Well, cities are full of people, are full of people, and a lot of those people have big challenges. And when God sends us to people in cities, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where we have to face our issues. That's where we have to face our prejudice. That's where we have to face our fears, our unforgiveness, whatever it is. And I just don't appreciate how Ananias was willing to do that how he was willing to go to one person. We don't need to make this a super complicated thing. There might just be one person that God is calling you to that could unlock a city. There might be one person that God is calling you to that could become a Paul, that could become a church planner. We don't know. We don't know the dreams that God has for people. So we have to obey and see what he does. God is calling us like Ananias to be people to be people that reach our cities. I think some of us are, are people like Joshua. You know, we're called to walk around a city like he did at Jericho. We're called to pray and believe that God would break through. You know, it's a call to intercession for our cities. I think some of us are like Solomon in the Bible. God's actually calling us to prosper and have wisdom and sow in financial resources and build the city. I think some of us are like Daniel, where God's actually calling us to have influence in city government. And man, if you feel that call, we want to pray for you. And we just need people that love Jesus, that are serving in all kinds of places in our, in our government. Some people are like Priscilla and Aquila in the Bible, where they just opened their house. And that's what the Bible says about them, the church that met in their house. Awesome. They opened their house. They were part of Transform This City. They cleaned their bathroom. They tied up their dogs so new people could come and visit them. That's what I have to do at my house. Okay. I think God wants to distribute calls to us for this city because he has dreams for this city. We want to be a church that speaks life about our city. We want to be a church that has high beliefs about God's calling for our city. This city has enough problems. 
The city has enough problems then to also have the problem of Christians that don't believe for it and that curse it with their words and, and reject it and try to be somewhere else, right? This city actually needs people that will be the hands and feet of Jesus that say yes, that go over to Straight Street and believe that other people will have an encounter with God. Can I, give you, can I get an amen for that? Let's stand together. Let's stand together.